0: Yeah, thank you for reading so so well. And thank you very much indeed for the invitation and the opportunity of being uh, with you this uh, weekend. Did you hear of the um, elderly couple? The alarm went off, so quite rightly the elderly lady got up to make the tea and as she passed the mirror, she looked in the mirror, she said, oh dear, I'm so grey, I've got lots of lines, I've got bags under my eyes, I've got several chins. And she turned to her husband and said, can't you say something encouraging? Nothing wrong with your eyesight, he said. (laughs) Uh, So I'm hoping that um, it's going to be an encouraging time, although the first chapter is not quite as easy uh, as the others. Uh, But let me pray. Father, we pray that your word will be our rule, that we neither go beyond it nor fall short of it. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher, enabling me to speak what is right and true, enabling each one of us to understand and apply your word. And Father, we pray that in all things, your glory will be our supreme concern for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Now, I hope you don't refer to these uh, last 12 books in the Old Testament as the minor prophets. Uh, They're not the minor prophets. They're just known as the 12. And in a verse in Ecclesiasticus, it says, May the bones of the 12 prophets also send forth new life from the ground where they lie, for they put new heart into Judah and rescued people by their comfort and hope. So they were of not as minor prophets. Um, John Chapman, who's a wonderful Australian um, evangelist, said that his nightmare would be to be asked to do the reading, read the lesson, and to come up to the lectern to find that the Bible was closed, uh, the reading was from Obadiah, and the index had been torn out. Um, <laughs> now, you've got it all in front of you, which is uh, very lucky, but if you've got Bibles... One of the ways of remembering the order of the 12 is a football team. HOS, Hosea, head of the side. Then Joel plays in goal. And then you have the Alpha and the Omega, Amos and Obadiah as the fullbacks. And then the three five-letter chaps in alphabetical order, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. And then you have an HZ-HZM formation, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, Uh, and you get just about get it and by that time you should have actually been able to look up the index but anyway (coughs) but anyway we're there now Martin Luther said of these uh, prophets they have a queer way of talking like people who instead of proceeding in an orderly manner ramble off from one thing to another so that you cannot make head or tail of what they're getting at so people have found them difficult and in many ways Zechariah is as complicated as any of them And yet there are at least 70 quotes or allusions from Zechariah in the New Testament. A third of those are in the Gospels. He is the prophet who is most quoted in the Passion narratives and a lot of references in the book of Revelation. So the New Testament writers were able to relate to much of Zechariah, Zechariah's thought in their day. So we ought to be able to do that. Uh, The background you can read up in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And I've just got to give you a bit of the background. I hope this isn't too tedious. In 597 BC, uh, the children of Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah, were taken off into exile in Babylon, and it was a (coughs) miserable existence. By the waters of Babylon we sat, sat down and wept. Jeremiah, who later went into exile in Egypt, told them that the exile was only going to last 70 years. And Ezekiel told them that one day there would be a return and would be the rebuilding of the temple. But there they were in Babylon. And in 562, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, died. Uh, Possibly he was converted. You don't know much about his son, but his grandson Belshazzar had that uh, notorious, blasphemous feast. And while he was there, there was the famous graffiti. Uh, You had weighed in the balances and found wanting And while he was having the feast, Cyrus the Mede had diverted the Euphrates that actually used to run under the walls of Babylon. And then he just marched his army through on dry land under the walls and captured the city in an almost bloodless uh, coup. And Cyrus the Mede was a very enlightened man and he immediately issued uh, exit visas. So about 50,000 Jews returned to uh, Jerusalem, but not all. So uh, Nehemiah stayed there, Daniel seemed to have stayed there as well. And when they returned, they began to rebuild the temple, which was in ruins, Solomon's massive uh, temple. And then their enthusiasm uh, waned. So what God did at that point was to send them two prophets. This is when in the year 520. And the two prophets were Haggai and Zechariah. And they were preaching partners. And I like to think that in some ways they were an equivalent of um, uh, London in the 50s and 60s with Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel and John Stott uh, at All Souls Langham Place. Uh, slightly different, but the same, uh, same message. Haggai was the practical one. He went round with a, a ruler and a spirit level, had his feet on the ground. Uh, Zechariah had his head in the clouds uh, and had these curious uh, visions, a woman in a basket flying through the air. So Haggai was rousing the people to get on with the rebuilding of the temple. Zechariah was calling on them to uh, have a spiritual renewal and a revival. And Ezra says that uh, they had a great effect. If you want to jot down the reference, that is uh, Ezra uh, chapter 5, verse 2. And the central message is in verse 3. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. Incidentally, I'm using the ESV. um, And one of the little differences is that you've got the Lord Almighty there, whereas actually it is the Lord of hosts, which is very significant, because there they were, back in Jerusalem, but they didn't have an army. They were a subject nation. So to be reminded that God was the Lord of hosts was very special for them. So the Lord of hosts. Uh, is the one who is speaking. And do you notice what he says? He says, return to me. Not return to doing good, though that's obviously very desirable and necessary. Not return to religious ceremonies, though they definitely had their place. And not return to orthodoxy, though that's very, very important, but return to me. So Zechariah begins by showing that although the work of the temple has been resumed, that's good, it needs to be accompanied by a total inner commitment to the Lord of hosts. Obedience and faithfulness are to be practised, not just in one, but in every respect. And the people who began well are being urged to continue, not to presume that the building of the temple uh, was enough, that they had to return to him, ongoing repentance, and walk with him. Um, My brother was a curate in um, Islington. And sometimes he'd take parties of the, the youngsters to Madame Tussauds. And they was so exhausting getting them there that he would go down to the Chamber of Horrors. And David can stand fairly still and got a slightly waxy face. So he'd take up a position amongst the, the waxworks. And usually there'd be a little group gathering around him uh, looking at their catalogue to see whether he was the one who'd murdered his wife or poisoned the children or something like that. And on one occasion he was standing there sort of gazing into the middle at the a distance with five or six people looking at him rather sort of suspiciously When suddenly he moved, he twitched or he sneezed or something like that. Now, do you realize what happened at that moment? What they thought was a character of history became a living person whom they could know. And that is at the heart of it all. Return to me. Um, A very fine Roman Catholic, uh, who was a previous professor of ecclesiastical history, uh, was very surprised when he heard that Christianity was the only religion in the world it is based on a friendship with its founder you can't know Muhammad, you can't know Buddha, you can't know Zoroaster, you can't know Mahavir, uh, you, you can't know any of them, but at the heart of it all is returning to me coming back to him uh, and what we're given in uh, chapter 1 are three reasons for returning to him and the first is in verses uh, 3 to 6 because the Lord's word comes true let me read them again Verse 3 Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, said the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Don't be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil do's. But they didn't hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Now, uh, when I go by train, which I do as often as possible, um, I like to sit facing the engine because I like to know where I'm going. I'm so insecure. But in life, we actually sit with our backs to the engine. We know our final destination, but not the intervening uh, stations. And the prophets tell what's going to happen, not so that we should know the future, but that when the future takes place, we should recognize it. Uh, Jesus says this um, three times in the Upper Room uh, Discourse in John 13 onwards. John, for your notes, John 13, uh, verse uh, 19. I'm telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And then chapter 14, verse 29, I know I've told you that before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. And then chapter 16, verse 4, I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you remember that I told them to you. So prophecy is there. Um, not so much that we should know the future exactly, but when the future takes place, we should recognize it. Ah, that's exactly what God said. And that is what Zechariah is saying. The Lord's word comes true. The prophet is like um, someone standing on the pavement and there's a child out in the road and he sees a bus coming and he says, get out of the way, you're going to be killed. Now, if the child takes um, notice and gets out of the way, he isn't a false prophet because he's warned that if the child takes no notice, he'll be killed. And that's what the prophets are doing. Uh, do this. The Consequences are going to be very, very serious. And they'd been told back in Deuteronomy that if they forsook God, they would actually be taken into captivity. That is Moses back in Deuteronomy warning them what would take place. Deuteronomy uh, 28, verses 36 and 37. And what Zechariah is saying is the Lord's word comes true. So do return to him. And it's just worth remembering some of the, the things that God says. Be sure... Your sin will find you out. The Lord's word comes true. There's no such thing as secret sin. Your, your sins will find you out. Uh, Satan. Um, the day you eat of it, you will die. Um, that's what God, uh, God said to that. And Satan said, no, no, you won't die. But they did eat. And they became uh, mortal. And they were banished from God's presence. And one of the things we've got to go on saying to each other is that passage in that 1 Corinthians 6, where we read, Don't you know, this is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. But don't don't be deceived. You can't go on doing those things. So the Lord's word comes true. And we need to take those warnings uh, seriously, which they haven't done. Uh, the second reason for returning to him is that peace can be deceptive. And what we have in verse 7 onwards is the first of eight visions, uh, which are fairly extraordinary in the opening chapters of Zechariah, uh, the trap with visions is that we try to understand them in a sense too tightly. It's what, what we call apocalyptic. That is, it's a lot of um, imagery. We ought to look for the impression. It's a it's an impressionistic thing rather than a photograph, or if you like, it's more like Picasso. Um, You remember Picasso with those faces with ears and eyes and noses all over the place. Somebody said to him, "Um, Picasso, may I have a word in your eye? Because he just were not quite sure what it was. (laughs) And uh, there was a lady going around an art gallery who was pontificating about how much she knew. And they went into uh, a room with Picasso's. And there was one of these portraits with noses and eyes and ears all over the place. And she said, oh, look, that's a Picasso. And the guide said, no, madam, it's a mirror. Uh, (laughs) LAUGHTER Apparently, uh, Picasso was uh, burgled, so they asked him to draw a picture of the thief. And the result is they, first of all, arrested General de Gaulle, then the Eiffel Tower, then the Arc de Triomphe. (laughs) But uh, anyway, it's impressionistic. Um, And actually, uh, uh, other uh, artists, there has been something in the the news the last few days about one of Turner's great pictures, which actually put in things that weren't actually there, but part of the picture. And that's what... um, uh, apocalyptic and the visions alike. Now, these men on horses uh, that he talks about uh, in this uh, second chunk, uh, verses 7 t- onwards, they were the faxes and emails and the um, mobiles and the texting of the day. Would that they had remained, really. Um, but uh, they were the way who, people who communicated. And they came back with the news, verse 11, that all was well. Verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. But that was only the case outwardly. It was true that King Darius had actually brought about a certain amount of stability and peace. But it was the wrong sort of peace. Verse 15, I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry, but a little, they furthered the disaster You know that there are three sorts of peace uh, mentioned in the Bible that there's uh, peace with God when we become Christians and the enmity is over um, there is the peace of God that can garrison our, our hearts when life is uh, tumultuous and uh, difficult and there's false peace Jeremiah talks about peace, <coughs> peace where there is no peace and Amos has to say woe to those who are at ease in Zion now, uh, I've lived at a very uh, remarkable time in uh, British history. The, the um, uh, I remember rationing and so on, but the, the, the peace that we've enjoyed uh, the last uh, 60, 70 years, uh, the, the uh, comfort, the warmth and so on, uh, there were some hairy moments. I mean, in, in the Cold War, I was at uni at the time and uh, a friend came round. Um, this was the time of the Bay of Pigs and um, the Cuban Missile uh, crisis, he came around just to say he had rung up his parents to say goodbye because we thought things were so desperate but really we've had a, a, a tremendous time of uh, comfort and uh, peace and yet, are we not beginning to see now that things are very serious in our country um, if um, God spares the United Kingdom, he'll have to apologise to uh, some of these other people that he uh, uh, punished uh, things are very bleak and what is true of our nation, I think is very true of the Church of England. Uh, so people may be sitting back and say, peace, peace, but actually the peace is deceptive. Now I think we're it, beginning to w- wake up to that, how serious the situation is in the Church of England and in our nation. So I do hope you'll pray for the nation, for a return to biblical standards. Uh, last This time last week, I was at a conference called the the New The new normal, I think it was called. And they're just saying that now transgender uh, people with um, uh, parents of the same sex, this is just becoming normal. You're not allowed to say anything against it. A girl in a private school in Wimbledon came home to her parents. She's eight. And she said, "Um, mummy, my closest friend is Alice. And I've been told, therefore, that I'm gay. This is a private school. That is the, 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 the environment which our young people are being brought up. And it may look as if we are comfortable with a high standard of living, with warmth and so on. But that sort of peace can be very, very deceptive. So return to me, says the Lord. And then the third reason for returning to him is that our God is a jealous God. Verse uh, 14. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I'm exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. And exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. Uh, but back in verse 2, the Lord was very angry with your fathers, with a very great anger. Our God is not like Buddha. Buddha sort of sits there uh, with sort of no emotions. He's just sitting there in sort of benign serenity. And our God is not like that. He, he has feelings. And his love for his people is not a weak emotion, his anger is roused when the relationship is broken, when others take improper action against those who are truly his. He is intolerant of any rivalry or unfaithfulness. We used to ask youngsters at Emmanuel, actually adults as well, um, the trick question in Mark's Gospel. What did Jesus say when he was asked, Master, what is the first and great commandment? And somebody put up a hand and said, oh, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. No, he didn't say that. Oh, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. No, he didn't say that. Master, what is the first and great commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. Therefore, he will not accept spiritual adultery or polygamies of the soul. There's only one God. The hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you must love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's this great good jealousy that makes God turn to his people, to Jerusalem, with compassion. And that's the great overriding motive for returning to him. He's promising a restoration, a rebuilding. Uh, uh, On to uh, chapter 8. We're going to be at a a city of uh, truth. This is chapter 8. Verses 3, thus says the Lord, I've returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be the faithful city, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in his hand because of great age. And all the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. That's what I want for you, says the Lord God. Somebody has said, fire, fire, everywhere except in the church and G.K. Chesterton uh, Father Brown of Fame said "Uh, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair and so the first cry is return to me the Lord's word comes true so be warned by that Uh, peace can be deceptive and God is a jealous God and he's wanting us to return to him and to stay there in that close relationship let me pray Father thank you very much indeed for your servant Zechariah and the way you told him what to write and what to preach and we thank you that your word is timeless and it applies to us And we'd ask that individually, and indeed as a fellowship, we will be those that are constantly returning to you and deepening that personal relationship. We ask this in your royal and precious name. Amen. Amen.